Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Brent Sanders, good morning. Welcome to the Support Automation Show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Where does this podcast find you? Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland rocks. Fellow Midwesterner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Brent, you're the co-founder at at Vern, which is a um, I don't know, private equity firm is the quite way to right way to describe it. But you guys we call have ourselves a, indie private equity. Indie right? private we're equity. Like, yep. We're punk rock private equity, <laughs> <laughs> aka private equity without the uh, without the extensive capital. But yeah. yeah, we're we're on the smaller side. We love uh, buying and building, you know, great internet businesses. Our our kind of general notion is is we're trying to buy these businesses to hold forever. So we're like farmers and not miners. Um, and just trying to improve these product products that we we pick up and um, yeah, doing it with with some debt or some external capital, but m- mainly our capital. Awesome. And and what led you to the path of of starting your own PE firm? Great question. Yeah. So I was in the startup space. So I started my career uh, in software. You know, doing work for other people, um, consulting, built an agency but always doing work for other people, building other people's products for them. And so got into the venture space uh, over the last, what, seven years, six, seven years or so. Um, Built a studio model incubator where we were building businesses from seed stage to series A and then kind of getting them out of the nest. And in leaving that environment, started uh, starting our own businesses, our own startups, our own ideas. And the main thing that echoed through that process was just how hard finding product market fit was, you know, like what to work on and and pivoting constantly. And it just like the fatigue and toll that that put in. So we decided, why don't we just buy product market fit and then grow those businesses. And that just like clicked immediately that started. It's like, Oh, okay. We have revenue coming in um, to support the work we're doing. So that was the main driver is like, it was just a lot easier. We're not great from, you know, the the groups that I work with, I, I would say we're not, great from zero to one for, but you know, once you have something that's at one, uh, pretty great at, at growing those businesses. Awesome. I'm looking forward to this conversation because as someone who has been an entrepreneur, has worked with entrepreneurs, has seen companies from across the spectrum and worked with them and yourself on making sure the support for both employees and teams as such that everyone can do their best work and customers have the best relationship with the business. I think you've got a, a good take on the discussion we're going to have today and it, given some of the RPA and automation that exists when, within your portfolio. So I'm going to start our conversation with the same question I start every one of these with, and that is when you hear the phrase support automation, what does that mean to you? <laughs> uh, like at, at its core, what it like tangibly means is is making our CSRs, our customer support reps, like superheroes. Like that's that's what it means to me. Is like when I think about automation, it's just making them super powerful. And when our number one thing that we're trying to get all of our businesses uh, through Vern, through Formulated, to a point is just empowering the the rep so they don't have to put people on 
like a hold, you know, now everything's over chat and email. We don't, we do have voice for, for a lot of our, our businesses and we're, we found that to be super powerful, but in kind of a different way, but just this idea of like, Hey, we received your message. We're handling, you know, we're going to pass it to our tech team. We'll get back to you. It's like, we're just trying to avoid that at all costs. So that's what it means is like getting people answers and giving power to the, the end rep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, we here at Capacity like to say that one of our key goals in life is to help teams do their best work. And you're exactly right that freeing up time from getting asked, you know, how do I reset my password or how do I log in or whatever it is 1500 times a day it has a material impact. So being able to deflect and self-serve a lot of that stuff up front is huge. In your view and what you've seen with the businesses that you guys have brought in, plus all the businesses that you've done your diligence on or looked at or whatever it is, what are some signs of businesses who have a support operation that's ripe for being able to embrace automation versus some maybe red flags where you see it and you're like, oof, this is gonna, this is gonna take some work to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So the biggest red flag for us, we buy software businesses, uh, but when they sometimes will have a physical or hardware component, that's like first off of like, okay, this is we have to take special care with these because it's it's a different category. So my experience is mostly on the software side of, you know, we're entire we're delivering a service entirely over the internet or you know, digitally, uh, biggest red flag when we do diligence on a, a business is uh, lack of history. If like, uh, you know, there isn't a really long support history that usually means there's maybe something like, oh, we just changed to intercom uh, 30 days ago or 60 days ago. And we don't have, you know, that that's like a kind of a, a non-starter for us. We need to really dig into support and understand what's going on there. But the other thing that's kind of an interesting heuristic is like lack of macros, lack of documentation. And uh, what I was just talking about before, it's like they have two people in the Philippines or somewhere way off site that are just saying, Hey, thanks for reaching out. We're going to reach out to our tech team. And then there being like a two day lag between somebody actually getting involved. And that indicates to us that both support is, is not empowered. And then, the product is probably, you know, I'm just going to say this. We buy generally like somewhat broke. Everything's broken in some state and nothing works perfectly that we buy. We're, we're not bottom feeders, but we, we like a challenge and we're usually transacting at a level that, that know, enables you to it. have that upside for fixing those issues. Exactly. Yeah. We, we see that as opportunity, but um, you know uh, I think, you know, the resources around, self-serve uh, or even just like being able to, when I say self-serve, I mean a CSR, like without escalating a ticket, being able to really help somebody. Um, that's our main metric for, okay, what are we going to have to do to come in? And by the way, we, we do like it when we see gaps because that gives us confidence that, Hey, we can come in and improve this. We can come in and, and run our normal, just like basic block and tackle. And I would say like our, our, we, we try to, derive a lot of the power in the products that we were purchasing and then we're going to change. So as an example, like every product we have has to have a way. And if it doesn't, we build it a way to impersonate the user, right? Like that's a, a basic thing that we always do is give the CSR the ability to just go in and try to reproduce the issue. Cause then if they can, 
great. We got a ticket that's actionable by the tech team. They can accelerate everything versus like, you know, there's always this distrust that like, Oh, you know, that person just doesn't know how to use the product. And so impersonation is like one of our key things that, you know, usually products already have it when we buy it, but um, we've added it in a few cases to be able to just like do things for customers is number one. Um, uh, show them like record loom videos for them in their account. Not like, Oh, you have to pretend that I'm in your account and look at my numbers and look at my data, like be able to really get into somebody's account and see what's going on there. That has circumvented a lot of the automation that stepping outside of Vern into the formulated side. It's like, we don't usually have the ability as a consultant to come in on a project and say, Hey, at in person, you know, it's usually not a, a SaaS product. It's a finance company that, you know, has, hundreds of, of, of support reps, right. That that's coming in. They're looking to automate something just because there's broken processes. And therefore, you know, a lot of the things we do on, on that side of things are, are just working around the inability to directly interact with the product or change it so they can be powerful. And so having to build these sort of like cross platform um, integrations effectively, that's, that's really what they are. It's like, Hey, how do I, within, you know, my help desk system, how do I see more things? How do I do more things? And that's where, you know, automation, RPA or things like that kind of come in. Yeah, you, you touched on a few things there that I want to unpack. Um, first off, if it makes you feel any better as a shareholder of Salesforce, I too own a broken SaaS product, but <laughs> yes. shots, shots fired at, um, at Salesforce. Yes. The other thing that you said there I thought was really interesting was this concept of being able to see what the customer sees or reproduce the issue as a CSM, as a CSR, and that is infinitely more helpful than an email or a Slack message to the product or engineering team being like, yeah. customer ABC said XYZ is broken. It's like, okay. <laughs> um, and, that, and that speaks to a couple things that, that come up on this show every now and then, but hasn't recently that I think is worth just sort of putting a pin in. And that is, there's a lot of power to developing a really strong feedback loop between customer, customer success, customer support, and product, and enabling the, the, the sort of virtuous cycle between those three, because mm -hmm. product's best ideas can not, they don't always come from the founder or the product manager. They, they, they come from customers a lot, right? And in a world where we want to make everything as efficient and automated as possible, one of the advantages to any system that looks to automate is a, is a human in the loop, right? It's a core concept of, of AI machine learning. And in a weird way, your product feedback from customers is a, is a human in the loop of a, of a larger kind of machination. And it's extremely important that CSMs are able to reproduce or have a screen recording of the issue. So that's a great bit there. Uh, the one thing I was just going to touch on, like that's central to our playbook when we first buy a business, we send out emails to customers just like, what sucks about this product? What's the most frustrating thing? Just a one-line prompt that's a little visceral that can kind of get people, generally it's what's the most annoying thing about XYZ product. And we get a lot of, get a lot of feedback that way, but you're right. Uh, every time we have like these aha moments, it's from a customer that took the time to, give us this feedback. And the only way that we're able to 
get that level of elaboration and perspective is by having an attentive CSR or having a, a real conversation, not a, I'm going to escalate this. It's, Hey, I see what you're working on. You know, we're, we're working on a, whatever, like, like building and bridging that, that uh, relationship versus, you know, this idea of, okay, I'm passing you to somebody and I'm just passing you to somebody. So it's, that is vital for us. And as I said, we buy kind of businesses that need to be fixed businesses that need, you know, their, their products generally need some improvement. I mean, they may be growing, they may be doing well, but there's generally like a, um, a gap where rather than investing in this product and rebuilding it, they're going to sell it to us. And then we're kind of faced with, okay, how do we do this? And we have fresh perspective, which is valuable, but, um, coming in and hearing from the customers, I mean, all of the aha moments have been driven by these, you know, support conversations where somebody finally just kind of lets loose. And it's like, okay, you're doing this, this, and this wrong. This doesn't make sense. I've been using this product for three years and I'm still frustrated. And that's, that's where our gold comes from. Yes. Speaking of gold, another thing you said in your prior answer that I wanted to double click on, and I think you're, this is where your um, combination of seeing a bunch of businesses, but then also the formulated piece of, of what you guys do is going to come into play. And that is the passing of data or the baton between applications inside of a larger process that is being automated, right? You have the Zapiers and at a level higher than that, MuleSofts or Workato or whatever it is, the world. But then you also have the um, dictionary definition, on-prem RPA of UiPath or automation anywhere or whatever it is. And also within tools, within product suites, they have automation and workflow capability to kind of ferret things from one place to another. The question I, I have for you is, this is a somewhat automation nerd question, but it's really important, I think, in the overall conversation. I'm very interested to hear how you look at this, considering like the formulated piece of the business is something that you uh, that gets used with the companies you ultimately end up buying and stuff. And that is when you look at a process that looks like it can be automated, like you're it's something inefficient and you're like this, there's got to be a way to do this better. Can you help us understand like your approach and Vern's approach to breaking that down and like what are the steps to go from that looks inefficient to as software enabled and automated as it can possibly get. Yeah. You know, I would say this is the exercise we go through on formulated I, on the Vern side of things. These businesses are, are nimble enough that generally um, we, I, we don't find a lot of automation opportunities. You know, there's, there's a, all the low hanging fruits gone, but when we go into like a, uh, like a financial services firm that's been around since 1970 and, uh, one of the things that we see are businesses that were, and I use this analogy all the time, there were businesses that were mail cart businesses for 20 years, 30 years when processes were designed and then they digitize in the nineties or so. And then, but it's the same thing. It's the same processes just put on digital. So there's like literally a email just being shuttled and passed along the chain. And email is the biggest driver for everything. Email is the sort of bus 
that information is gliding. And then sure there's other systems, but they act like and work like email. It's just tickets moving down a chain and people, you know, working with them. Um, you know, the, the biggest ones that I touch on first is whenever there's a physical component, that's usually a good giveaway. Like for example, when I say physical, I, I don't I go, going back to the vir- virtual mail cart. So there's like a file that somebody gets that they need to then digest. That's always like uh, a good place to start. And again, uh, they they'll scream out to you. Right. And I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody that doesn't do this for a living or doesn't have the experience. I do um, sharing of, of information. We see surprisingly large number of, of, instances where people have a shared email inbox and there's like mm, bespoke mm-hmm. or ad hoc systems where it's like, well, what do we do? Well, we color code these. Yeah. I was going to say once, <laughs> once color coding gets to be some sort of like stage definition, yeah, it's time to like get out your process flow diagram and start looking at ways to fix this. Yeah. So, you know, the, they're usually ones that the very first level, it's the stuff that screams out to you. So it's like, Hey, I have to go parse human parse and read, uh, unformatted or unstructured text and put it into a system. Um, the one that I always start with, I'm like, I ask people, is there any situation where you have one screen here and one screen, two separate systems and you're, you're doing this thing where it's like, Oh, I'm going to bring the information from this system over to this system. Those are, uh, the split screen dilemma. Like that's easy to find. Um, and there's, there's also like a, a suite of software that, um, once you get into certain industries, if you understand, like, are you using, uh, like accounting and fulfillment or warehouse management? And like, these are more categorical for industries, but like for folks that are in like three PL or logistics, like, Oh, well, we have a warehouse management system, but we also have a separate accounting system. And, and those are always areas where like, you'll know there's, there's, there's a playbook of things, just like you have the category of, um, going into even like job roles of like, okay, how are you, how are you guys doing invoice matching? These are like really simple from the RPA sort of, um, I shouldn't say they're really simple. It's not necessarily like they're simple to fix and do, but those are always like, yeah, you need a human to kind of do that. And most companies do have like a, an accounting department that has a group that's doing that, that can slice off 20 to 30% of the work easily on first pass, sometimes 80%, depending on, on what they're doing. But those are just common, like finance departments are full of, that's kind of where we found out. We didn't know this in the beginning. That's where RPA feel like really took hold is in the finance departments, doing things like invoice matching, um, you know, accounts, payable accounts, receivable tasks. Those are, those are the generally the places we start. And so in the context of Vern, none of our businesses even have AP uh, departments or AR departments. Right. Got it. Got it. From an automation perspective, do you see the category from I'm specifically talking about a software perspective. Do you see the the category going more in the um, kind of zappier direction where you have a bunch of basically a rules engine and that relies on the sort of app owners, so to speak, to, to, to get their endpoints into that system going more that direction? Or do you see it going more in the direction of um, individual apps building in more 
um, sort of either entry points from other applications and then making their own APIs more accessible to do this kind of stuff with with neighboring applications, right? So like, like just as a as a quick example, like you can. Marketo, for example, is is as marketing automation platform. Tons of of API flexibility and what you can do with it. Whereas something like I don't know, um, uh, like an HRIS, like the app, the the API is very closed off because there's potentially you know personally identifiable information or sensitive information, whatever it is, and the intermediary there is is more important i'm kind of just from your for just love to know your thought on like where do you think this ends up long term yeah i think a api platform like a zapier or zapier like products i mean to your point that's the main kind of rub that we once you start digging into like well this is on-prem data this is uh cannot leave our our cloud then you know these these services like zapier get a little tricky. However, Microsoft's all over this space, like Power Automate. They're, so they're, these, these tools are getting into, so I'm going to say Zapier, but I, what I really mean are just like the general you know, integration platforms. And I, I think those are, you know, they've already been, been taking off. And I think that's where the future of all this stuff's heading. The thing with disparate applications and my hope, so I'm going to say this with a caveat that like legacy software is not going away. That's why we started Formula. That's why we got into this space is that like, oh, there's the legacy uh, problem is, is going to be coming home to roost in the next 10 to, it already did with COVID and, um, you know, just the constraints that are put on organizations are only getting greater and the demand and, and the, like the mainframe systems, these older systems that, that some banks, uh, government institutions really suffer when they're put under strain because like nobody knows how to work it. And as long as you don't touch it, it works. But if you try to do something different, it breaks. And that means that employment checks aren't going up. That means, you know, whatever, you know, something kind of dire uh, can result from that. So, you know, with that aside, that's like the big thing that weighs on us as we talk to our clients and uh, we work, that's like what we're focused on. Uh, that being said, so uh, RPA has its place, these, these apps, so to speak, like, um, automation, like these distinct little things that you'll build to, Hey, we just need to get this information out of the database, out of our access database that no one touches, but, um, those things still have value and will continue to be built, but then they get swept into this sort of legacy code, um, dilemma where you're, you're basically pouring concrete on top of it and saying, okay, now we've, we've connected these other things. Now we really can't change it. Um, so pushing that little corner of the world aside, I really think, uh, the more modern um, platforms, the more, you know, even being on Microsoft, like on a, a team system, like you then now are opening yourself up to the world of these integration platforms, which I think is where we're, you know, you can really ignite some innovation with, uh, I, we, we don't, we talk about like the, the citizen developer mm -hmm. uh, fallacy, yep. but you know, this is where you really can enable people to set up their own, like plumbing is what we call it. Like you're just letting them connect the pipes themselves. They understand the work and they're doing it in things like Excel. They're doing it in things like access. They're doing uh, like your, your, your typical Microsoft stack, but now you're able to do it in a way that uh, otherwise couldn't. And 
the reason I'm talking about Microsoft is that we always tend to start with that when we come into an organization because it's like safe. It's what people know. There's no big license fees. And so it's, it's sort of our gateway drug to automation, um, to coming into organizations that, you know, they haven't really, or maybe they tried it, but they didn't like, the, you know, we don't want to pay, you know, some 20, 30, $40,000 licensing fee to a, a company for something that's not really tried. We're, we think we'll get the ROI, but Hey, how do we start incrementally? And that's, that's the way that, that we like it. But once you start those things, um, you need to maintain them. And so that's where the Zapier's, uh, the integration platforms do wonderful. They really protect you against, um, you know, when things fail, you get notifications. They're easier to fix. It's not, you know, custom code and whatnot. So I'm a big believer in that. And so on the Vern side, on the uh, SaaS side of things, we're trying to make all of our products integratable by those platforms because we see our com- our clients that are small businesses largely like we are b2b software so um we want to be in niches so whatever like harbor software whatever it is they are surprisingly uh savvy and they want to also automate and so that's where we're, we're seeing this interesting um divide where it's like formulated as dealt with larger companies but that influence is now trickling into these you know small companies three to five to ten to twenty person companies that um, you know, around a million dollars in revenue that they're on Zapier. They're, they're wanting to automate their invoice and estimate delivery. They have the same constraints and demands on their time. And so uh, that's what we're trying to kind of bring a lot of this stuff down market. And I think that's where the automation world is going. Like they, it starts at enterprise and works its way down. And a lot of the tools are becoming more and more uh, affordable and prevalent and, and I don't want to say it's a race to the bottom in the industry. It's a race to the bottom on these, like the licensing and software packages. Right. Everything's getting cheaper. And, and I think that's good. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also a thing happening that I don't know how true this is, but I feel like it's happening. So therefore, I'm going to say that it is. And that is proliferation of things like HomeKit, Google Home, Oh, or yeah. even, yeah, Alexa Blueprints, whatever the hell they call it. Like, that is an automation platform that exists for just the average consumer. And, you know, you can make those as simple or as complicated. I mean, uh, there's a, um, I don't know if you see it, there's a blinking light back there. That's a Raspberry Pi that I have an environment sensor connected to that runs into an instance of Homebridge I have on my NAS upstairs that if the temperature in here gets below a certain point, it kicks on the oil heater that's that's next to me. Most homeowners aren't going to go through that. <laughs> I get that. But I can very simply with a few taps, you know, automate lights turning on or off or the thermostat changing or whatever. And if we're getting to the point where orchestration is possible on consumer devices in a mass market kind of way, that means there is this installation of the automating mindset that people are then going to take to work, hopefully, and or, or even, you know, the other way down. And we just get to this point where it's just a universal language for all of us to want to automate as much as we possibly can. And we have these orchestration platforms to do so. The next question I have for you is the relationship between automation and 
these some of these platforms, whether it's RPA or, or even just like a Zapier or whatever it is, between IT and CS, unlike the ownership of those kind of things in a support world, curious just what your thoughts are. Like, should that live in IT? Should that live in support? Is there a shared ownership model that works? Like, how have you seen that done effectively? Yeah, I mean, it's a snowflake for, you know, each business. In, in our case, we see a lot of businesses that are, are tech, like we keep that, uh, the CSRs are part of the IT team. They're L1, IT is L2 or L3, you know, depending, they're part of that team. So we we structure it definitely on the IT side. That being said, we don't have businesses that have like an account management perspective in the sense that like, you don't have a rep, you don't sign up for one of our products and then so-and-so reaches out saying, oh, I'm going to be your point of contact and I'll, you know, help. It's not an enterprise software. Um, so yeah, it stays very, very much nestled within tech. And, and we see our CSRs as like an extension of the tech team. We've had CSRs move up the ranks in the sense that they learn the software, they start learning the tricks and they start becoming, you know, coders in, a, in essence. They can really debug our applications, provide really careful pinpoint um, feedback if there are bugs and able to like know where to look, how to look for things. So we, we think of it as very technical. I mean, but then there is a sales element to this where it's like, hey, are we talking about an upsell opportunity? Um, you know, my perspective is, is though, yeah, it's, it's, it's a technical, these are technical products, they're technical focus, they're an extension. They're, they're definitely there to bridge the gap to the, the non-technical customer. Yeah. I think uh, the best value that, the way we've tried to structure the teams is really to deliver the most efficient feedback to the tech team to get something done or get something fixed. And to me, that is a, the result of that is just shortening the, the time these tickets are open. So quicker resolutions because it's clear to the tech team what's going on and therefore we're able to kind of continuously release things and, and delight our customers when they see something, you know, like I said, we, we sometimes buy businesses that are a little broken. And when we show quick action, we engender the, the, the client or the customer on our side. I know this is sounds messed up because it's like, wait, you're offering a, a product that's kind of, you know, broken. But if we show that we're committed to it, that's how we end up with really loyal customers. Like we're, we're willing to improve it. We're willing to improve it quickly. Like I'm not saying we're, we're pushing changes in the middle of the night, but um, shortening our release cycles with customer feedback in mind delights our customers. They love seeing something they asked for on the product and making their lives easier. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how much the lines are going to continue to blur on this because within your help desk, there's tons of different automations you can do. And then within your CRM, there's a ton of different automations you can do. And then there's this no man's land between the two that like is either easily navigable or not easily navigable depending on the automations on either side of that chasm and then whatever you have in place in that chasm right and this is part of the value proposition that we've liked to 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 um, put forward that you know having one platform is kind of meant to do all this stuff is 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 preferable this has been a great conversation I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but I want to be respectful of your time. So um, let's wind down with my 
question that I end all these conversations with, and we'll go to our quick fire round. And that is, what excites you the most about the future of support automation? I think it's just going to make it easier for us to, and this is selfish, but it'll make it easier for us to delight our customers. Like, make it easier for us to to come off as amazing, right? To like, uh, it's a gr- just add more gratification to the end user. That's the short answer. It's like make it a less frustrating experience on the internet. Yep. Less frustration is always preferable to more frustration. Brent, this has been a great conversation. Let's end with our quick fire round. So sure. I'm just going to bark some quick questions at you and let, let, let me know what, let, what the first thing comes to mind is. What's the book you most often recommend to people? Uh, lately, it's The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Big fan. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've heard good things about that one. I haven't read it yet myself. What's the best productivity tip tool, tactic, hack that you have folded into your practice that you think everybody should do or that has worked for you anyway? Sure. Goal setting, you know, really clear goals that have a why on them and then get it in your calendar. Abide by the calendar. Keep keep your calendar sacred. Don't fill it with any noise and then stick to it. You know, that's the, uh, that's the number one thing for me right now is just sticking to the calendar. Don't deviate and be really thoughtful about what's in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you could recommend one website, blog, Slack community, LinkedIn group, in-person meetup, if, if, if we're doing that these days, um, <laughs> for, for someone who wants to learn more about the benefits of automation or, or how to approach these, the, these, some of these topics we talked about today, what, what, what would you recommend? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. I don't have a great... My answer is going to be very... Uh, developer oriented in the sense if you are interested in the open source or open source ish RPA community, I got to give up the, the RoboCorp uh, Slack channel is really great. Like they, they put a lot into opening the team up there. We use RoboCorp for, for some of our projects and um, but just in general, like you want to shoot some ideas around it again, it's a little more technical focus, but still use cases. They have their team on there. They're willing to like help you out, willing to um, point you in the right direction, help you find solutions. It's uh, it's great. That's a great shout out. They do do a great job with that kind of thing relative to others in their space. And part of that's the open source nature of it. But that is a that is a really good call out. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of love there. Finally, if there was one person you would want to take out for coffee or a cocktail, depending on the time of day and the vibe, uh, to pick their brain on, on this stuff, who would it be alive or dead? Either. Either. Yeah. Probably somebody like in the the nineties tech world, a Steve Ballmer or a, mm. uh, a was like going back to that age. I feel like maybe this is just me being nostalgic about growing up with like an Apple two, but, um, yeah, I think talking to, I don't think much has changed since then, by the way. Like, I don't think much has, I know. It's a good hot take. I like that. Yeah, the, the computing era has, you know, the, the personal computing era has, we're beyond that. We're in the internet age and, or even beyond that. We're in web three. But uh, I don't think much has changed from the, the fundamentals of like that thinking. Because that was the biggest paradigm shift was going from no computers to computers in every home. And then, you know, sure, now we have, computers in our pockets and things like that. Like my, my three-year-old wants to borrow my phone all the time. 
but it, I think that is the freshest thinking. And I think they'd have an interesting perspective. So maybe not, I don't know if Balmer gets a, a vote, maybe somebody who was an innovator in that, that thought, I probably don't know their name, but anybody from that era of like fresh thinking, I think that's still one of the, the best eras of computing and, and automation. Yeah. I, that's an interesting answer and not one that I hear often, but you're right. Like fundamentally, we're still kind of solving the same problems. Um, we've we've managed to move a lot of the a lot of the applications that that Balmer Balmer was dealing with that were, um, you know, on prem or now in the cloud, uh, right? Like there is the 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 uh, community of operating systems was was pretty monolithic in his day, um, but at the end of the day, like you still have humans doing paperwork. You still have customers asking questions. You still have logistics that need to be done. Like it's the same, it's the same hamburger. Just, uh, we've, we've diversified some of the sources of ingredients, so to speak. Um, Brent, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. Where can people find out more about you and Vern and what you guys are up to? Yeah, you can find more about me. I'm on LinkedIn. Look up my name, Brent Sanders. You can find me at brentsanders.io if you're curious about uh, me specifically. And then at Vern is vernhq.com if you uh, are interested in selling your your SaaS business or know anybody who is, reach out to us. We're we're easy to work with, and um, we'll we'll are there to 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 farm it, not not to mine it. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me, Justin. This has been a, been a delight. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the Support Automation Show. Have a wonderful day. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find the show by searching for Support Automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.